Welcome to the Internet of Assets, the podcast about the not-so-distant future of finance. My name is Ryan King, Head of Business Development at Dust Network, and every episode, I'll dive into a specific part of finance. We do this in a maximum of 25 minutes, and in this episode, I'll be discussing the developments around FTX and the pressing demand for regulation in the crypto space, together with blockchain lawyer Florian Glatz. Welcome, Florian. So, uh, Florian, would you uh, give an introduction to yourself? Sure, happy to. I'm uh, a lawyer, as you said. Um, I started to work in the crypto space right when I essentially left university. Um, So that was in around 2012 to 2014. Um, I spent two years in Berlin uh, learning the trade, uh, actually becoming a proper lawyer and a member of the bar. That was then in 2014. And right around that time, I discovered Ethereum. Uh, I went to the first meetups in London, met Vitalik and his crew. It was right after the ICO, and I was just blown away by what Ethereum uh, wanted to do, um, basically revolutionize the way we do internet, uh, the way we do finance, the way we do communication, governance, and all these things. And uh, to this day, I believe that this vision is something worth working for. I've never stopped believing in it, and um, I'm excited more than ever about the future of this technology, and in particular also the ecosystem that Ethereum has uh, been leading. Uh, Of course, I'm super happy that there are many other ecosystems now as well. So it's a really beautiful uh, sort of development that I was privileged to witness from quite early on. And in my function as a lawyer in this space, um, I was really privileged to work with early projects way back in 2016, 2017, when we had this really first big crypto boom. Uh, I met a lot of the people who are today considered uh, the absolute apex of uh, the crypto founders uh, who have the big projects. And um, I think someone recently on Twitter said, the real benefit of having been early in the space is that you know who you can trust. And um, I think actually uh, that's true. Um, I have a really good bullshit filter of what are legit and non-legit projects. And I think that comes from being so early and absorbing the values of this space before the money came in. And um, I went into crypto lobbying uh, quite early in 2017. I founded, I would say, Europe's first big national uh, blockchain association that was lobbying for better national regulation in Germany. Um, quickly after, France followed uh, with Adan, uh, which is also a great association. And now we have, I think, many national associations in uh, Europe that are doing a great job. And um, in 2020, I helped uh, to initiate also the European Crypto Initiative, which is now a Brussels-based Europe-wide lobby organization that does the same, but on the European level. And so, yeah, I would say I've collected a lot of experience over the years that I guess qualifies me to talk a little bit about where we are, where we're going, and maybe what we can do better in the future. Great, great introduction. Um, and it's also such a common story almost, uh, certainly the beginning, is you you go down to a meetup for this funky project, just has a cool name, you've heard everybody talking about it, so oh, I'm going to go and find out what, what this is about. And then you get there and you go, wow. This is this is world changing, right? It's uh, it's it's always great to hear everybody having that similar story. But that's that's of course people inside this. Let's call it the the Web three bubble. But what we're talking about this week is something that I think 
people even outside of the bubble have very much read and heard about, which is the FTX collapse, right? So we've seen the company's valuation has just plunged from around $32 billion to bankruptcy in a matter of days, which is uh, spectacular for any market. And I mean spectacular in a, in, in a negative way. It's dragged down the CEO and, and founder Sam Bankman-Free. And uh, the FTX collapse definitely shook the volatile crypto market. The demand and pressure for regulations concurrently then became larger. This is something we see talked about in the newspapers and talked about by politicians. And so this death spiral of FTX raises a lot of great questions about coin custody, crypto insurance, MICA, and the benefits of Reg DeFi. And that's what I'm going to be discussing today with Florian. So the first question I have to ask is, slightly going back to your introduction, why, uh, as a lawyer, did you decide to join what we could call the dark side and get involved in what is a, a very unregulated space? Well, um, I've never considered it the dark side, to be honest, and still don't to this day. Um, some people out there may, um, but I would say we're actually um, a huge ecosystem now of very good and honest players who want to make this world better. But of course, when money is involved to the amount that it is in crypto nowadays, so to the tune of billions and trillions of dollars, it naturally attracts also players who may not have the best intentions or players who just want to take advantage of this gold rush. And um, yeah, I, I, um, I think it's really important for everybody out there um, considering to form an opinion on this space to look at both the good and the bad elements of it. Um, I would find it very disappointing if anyone just looks at one side of it and concludes that it's, you know, the best thing in the world or the worst thing in the world. It's actually both, right? Um, it's what we make of it. And um, I actually um, recently ordered this book that Vitalik Buderin published. Uh, it's like his collected essays um, with a nice foreword from Nathan Schneider. And Nathan Schneider says, listen, everybody reading this book, um, if we actually seriously want to sort of transition our whole society onto a ledger-based, transparent, you know, multi-stakeholder governed system, we should seriously challenge all these ideas that are being put forward, be it by Vitalik, who we all consider to be, you know, our benevolent dictator in a sense, or uh, by someone else. Uh, we need to have a substantive discussion about how we want to use this technology for society going forward. And one guy or girl doesn't have the answers to this. And I think what I'm missing today is this substantive discussion. And to me, the FTX collapse actually throws us back a few years in a sense, because now people are very quick to draw conclusions again, saying, oh, I told you from the beginning, this was a bad idea, or this and that. It's not that easy. And I would ask everybody to not make it so easy for themselves. Yeah, very good point. Okay, uh, well, we've seen, um, obviously, a lot of discussion, particularly around regulation uh, has come up. Uh, during these last couple of weeks, it's like you said, you know, people jump on board and say, okay, well, since this happened, it's obviously time to pass laws. It's obviously time to find a way to throw people in jail or give people licenses or whatever it is that governments do. How have you been finding this discussion over the last couple of weeks? So I think what has become apparent is that centralized finance in the crypto space needs to be better regulated. 
Um, it has started off fully unregulated simply because of this innovative nature of the technology, how we can create assets, custody them, transfer them, and all these things. So regulators naturally needed time to catch up. I think that's also good that they didn't regulate too fast. However, when it comes to this big differentiation between self-custodial services and custodial services, um, I think it's important to recognize that the custodial track, the CFI or centralized finance track, really is in dire need of um, clear rules uh, by which companies need to adhere um, in order to be allowed to act in the space. And I think FTX is just the latest example. There have been many before that. Uh, that demonstrate this. And um, as a European, I'm sort of proud to say that Europe has sort of front-run um, the space here. Um, actually, in 2020, Europe already uh, released a draft bill for exactly this, a regulation of centralized financial services in crypto. Um, it's still going to take a while until this draft bill is actually finally entering into force and is applicable. But everything has been put on track. Uh, we're already uh, two years into this process now. Uh, the draft bill has been concluded. And um, I think the whole world is now actually looking at Europe and saying, okay, uh, despite your tendency, Europeans, to overregulate everything, uh, I think in this case, you may have actually done something good. So, um, yeah, I think regulation is, is important. Um, but it's also important to look at what should be regulated and how. And there are big differences in all this broad uh, uh, variety of, of, of ways you can do crypto. And not everything needs the same regulation. Actually, things need very different kinds of regulation when you get to the bottom of it. But yeah, uh, that being said, I think for certain parts of the space, regulation is very important now because essentially consumers are relying uh, uh, on, you know, this idea that they can trust what they read on a website, like, hey, everything's safe, uh, your, your funds are segregated, we would never take your money to do anything with it. But then in reality, uh, companies can actually do it because there's no regulator looking at, at what they're doing. This, this needs to stop. It's just uh, damaging the space too much at this point. It is, it is. And I think that's a very good point because... As you say, it's a very broad space, right? So writing a piece of legislation, like, for example, a government wouldn't say, right, we're going to pass the transport legislation, and this should cover planes and airports, but also trains and train stations and roads and all the vehicles that drive upon it, and the people that walk upon it and under it and over it, and bridges. I love that and comparison. Yeah. Yeah. It's far too broad to write one set of legislation. You need to break it down into things. Some need to be regulated, some don't. Some need heavy, some need light. I think it's a really, really good way of thinking about it. It's a very good argument to people in the space who just talk about, well, people outside the space mostly say, why can't we regulate crypto? And it's like, well, okay, but which part within crypto, which part within blockchain? It's a great point. Actually, this brings me on to my next point, which is that we've seen, uh, so you're referring to the markets in crypto assets regulation, which is something we've talked about a lot on this podcast before, which is probably, we think, being watched by large chunks of the world, the first real attempt to, to bring proper regulation in for crypto assets. There's also some interaction, depending on the type of blockchain product you're uh, using with the 
Markets in Financial Instruments Directive 2, MIFID 2. And there's always elements of, of GDPR hanging around and, 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 and anti-money laundering legislation, AML 5, the new draft coming in. Um, so there's, there's lots of bits of interaction between these laws. I wonder if for somebody who's fairly new um, to this space, I don't mean the crypto space, but this space where crypto and blockchain interacts with with real life government legislation. If you talk a little bit more on things like Mike and MIFID two other legislation, how it might interact with the space. How do you see this 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 moving over the next couple of years? Yeah, so I think um, the uh, Europeans at least have done quite a good job in finding the right regulation for centralized finance um so for centralized service providers using custodial methods of keeping crypto assets uh such as exchanges for example such as what ftx for example has been offering so there are good rules in there not all of them are great so we've been uh, having a lot of you know arguments back and forth with the commission and the council and the parliament about you know how strict should certain things be uh what should the exemptions look like but i think overall it is uh, a relatively measured approach um, to this um, to this idea of, of regulating the centralized aspects. But um, I think the big conflict in the next few years uh, between us crypto nerds and the regulators is going to be about, well, what is actually centralized and what is decentralized? Because one thing that the commission um, has not achieved and the, the, the other um, bodies in the EU have not achieved is to actually really define what decentralized services are they were able to say well all of this if it's provided in a centralized way is regulated but then you know when are you decentralized enough to not be considered centralized anymore and for some projects out there this is a real issue right because um decentralization is sort of a spectrum it's not a binary choice uh, uh just a button you press and you're decentralized um i think everybody who has ever tried to build something decentralized realized okay i'm actually starting out quite centralized here it's actually just me and a bunch of uh, people in a garage or whatever and um, it's not very decentralized at the moment so i think this problem has not really been addressed sufficiently and i think we will see a lot of commotion and discussion and frustration around exactly that point in the next few years. Yeah, I think that's a great point. We saw it with some of the the late additions to the drafts, didn't we, of, of MICA and, and, and the AML legislation, when, if you remember, there was a point where um, exchanges, CFI exchanges were going to be made responsible for self-hosted wallets. And it was like, okay, but this is this is illogical. But again, you you're saying it's but it's not a clear distinction. Uh, there's 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 levels of hosting. There's levels of, of of decentralized, and it's like at some point you just and this is what legislation does. At some point, it just has to draw a line and say, okay, here's the line. That's it. Like it's completely arbitrary. But this is the line. And from now on, if you're on that side of a line, you're regulated. If you're on this side of a line, you're not. Right. Which is it's the same thing we do, isn't it? With with speed limits and whatnot. You say, like, okay, it's it's fifty. That's it. Like. Yeah, absolutely. In particular, if if uh, it you know it may have um, you know uh, a criminal law dimension to it, it's mm-hmm. it's unconstitutional if it's not sufficiently clearly defined at which point you cross the line to illegality. Um, that has happened many times that legislators have have passed a law and then it was uh, had to be changed afterwards because it wasn't sufficiently clear. 
So absolutely agree with you here. That's what we see, don't we, in some jurisdictions beyond common law and civil law jurisdictions where laws are written to be quite broad, to theoretically be interpreted however the government sees fit to interpret them later, right? Especially countries that have laws on like... um, so I can I won't name any specific jurisdictions, but I'm aware of countries that have laws on, for example, uh, distributing uh, uh, national information. And it's like, OK, but what is what is national information? What is confidential? Like and what does distributing mean? Does it mean to put it on a website? Does it mean to send it to a spy? Like, what does that even mean? And of course, it's written intentionally in that way. Right. To catch people in a dragnet whenever it's it's seen fit. But this is not what we do in Europe. And uh this is this is why we're trying to do it a little bit better. But speaking on that topic, now, this is an, an interesting hypothetical, so feel free to answer it as much as you're comfortable with. Were MICA to have been in effect prior to this FTX collapse, do you see it as having gone down any differently? Could it have been prevented? So um, two considerations on that, actually. Um, number one, yes, if MICA would have been an American legislation and uh, therefore would have actually affected the entrepreneurial activity of the FTX people, um, it would have made a difference because MICA uh, does two things. It regulates um, how you need to um, uh, segregate and uh, protect customer funds as an exchange. And it says you're not allowed to do reverse solicitation in Europe anymore or hypothetically then in the US if it would have been a US bill. So it would have, have been allowed for FTX to offshore to the Bahamas and um, offer an unregulated service back into um, their jurisdiction. Now, saying that, I realized that actually they didn't do this. They had FTX US, um, which was um, serving US customers, and then FTX International on the Bahamas, which was serving non-US customers. So uh, in a sense, they already had this segregation, but now under the Chapter 11 filings, um, the FTX US entity is as much part of the, the, the proceedings as the FTX International. So I'm not clear, I'm not an uh, expert on the American uh, insolvency laws. I don't know how much it benefits FTX US customers that they have been in a separate entity. I think they are now just part of this big insolvency group. Um, but um, taking this back to Europe, what's really, I think, um, interesting in how MICA does it is it says, here are rules for how to custody user funds and don't offshore and service back to Europeans outside of our regulations here. We don't want that. That You could, you could do this for the last, whatever, 10 years, but going forward, we want you to have a European entity. And if you service European clients, you have to do it from this entity and you're fully regulated there. And I think um, this is sort of a gap that FTX could use um, that in the future will be closed. And so if MICA would have been in effect, um, it could have actually made a difference. And um, I think the other interesting observation is is that um, the European business of FTX um, already had a MIFID II license, actually from Cyprus, I think. So... Mm. Um, from what I could read, I think just yesterday in a, in a news uh, post, is that uh, European customer funds were not se- um, sort of mingled, commingled with American or FTX international customer funds already because of European regulation being in place there. 
So that's also quite interesting, right? That um, in a sense, this protection was even already there without MICA, uh, just because MIFID 2 was already sort of a quite decent uh, uh, approach to regulation there. Very interesting. Very interesting. Thank you for that. Well, that leads us right into our next section. So, um, Florian, the big question, the one we ask everybody who comes on, what is an unpopular opinion that you have about the current MICA regulations? This is Unpopular Opinion. Unpopular Opinion. Uh, unpopular Opinion is now probably a popular one because of the FTX crash. Um, I think MICA is fundamentally, at the basis of it, a good idea. And I don't think that many people actually would have agreed with this until the FTX crash has showed us that we cannot continue the way we've been doing it in the at least centralized financial uh, uh, aspects of crypto as we did before. So um, I would say it's now become a popular opinion and I have to look for a new un unpopular one. So uh, maybe in the next episode, you can ask me again. It's a great statement of the way that you see things, your vision, if your own popular opinions become popular opinions, I'd say. I mean, we're not, uh, we're not hipsters trying to stick to unpopular stuff, right? We're just trying to see how things are going. That's great. Thank you, Florian. Okay, so uh, next question, the uh, next thing I'm interested to ask about is, would too much regulation hinder innovation in the market, do you think? As in, does, does, does Europe have to worry about potentially losing talent or, or losing entities because of too much regulation? A hundred percent. I think um, the EU is, um, you know, it's built to regulate in a sense. And um, if it's this old saying that if all you have is a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail, right? And I think this is kind of the, the issue of Europe. And to make this more concrete, right now, the biggest danger I see for Europe is to actually kill its nascent DeFi, uh, so decentralized financial, and even non-financial, just the general decentralized use cases space, simply because Europe has not sufficiently acknowledged the existence of this whole branch of crypto inside the MICA regulation. Um, there is a recital um, that says if someone or a collective uh, offers or runs crypto services in a completely decentralized way, then they are not regulated uh, by this by this piece of legislation. But then they have given nothing at all for anyone to understand what it would mean to fall under this recital. Nobody knows. And so um, now combined with um, the latest developments around um, the Tornado Cash um, service, for example, where one of the developers is actually still um, under arrest um, in the Netherlands, um, there are already massive chilling effects um, uh, in, in now present for people to actually think twice whether they should innovate and start something decentralized um, in Europe or whether they should not do it at all or do it uh, from outside of Europe. So I think this problem is already there um, uh, when it comes to the decentralized use cases space. And um, this is very regrettable. And I wish we could have done more or achieved more um, for the builders um, in the decentralized use cases space in Europe. 
And I hope very much that um, in the next few years, we will be able to bring this uh, even more into a good direction than we were able to now in the past two years during these MICA negotiations. Yeah, that leads us on to an interesting point because we we can see obviously that the MICA legislation, as you've mentioned, has taken two plus years. So this is this doesn't seem necessarily like a knee-jerk reaction. We're pretty sure it was a reaction to, to Libra, wasn't it? To DM, they started talking about it, but they've taken their time. They've talked to people. Um, but we still see now and again occasional instances of what look like knee-jerk reactions. Like last week, the, the rumors coming out that there's a full ban on privacy encrypted coins, right? That seem to have just popped out of absolutely nowhere. Um, what do you make of that? Yeah, I think this is uh, another good point that you're touching upon, uh, which is, of course, also connected to the Digital Euro Initiative and um, all the questions of, is financial privacy actually a fundamental right in Europe or not? You know, is, is, do you have a right to have private financial transactions um, as a European citizen or is it to be expected that at some level someone always knows exactly how much do you have? For what do you spend your money? Um, do you, you know, do you maybe spend your money on, I don't know, gay porn, right? So you're gay or do you spend your money on, I don't know, uh, religious things of a certain faith? So you're, uh, you know, part of this group of, of faith or are you part of some other minority or, or group of people that are being discriminated against? Um, I'm naming these examples because also now in the in the context of the um, World Championship, uh, we we learn that in, in Qatar, for example, it's just flat out illegal to to be openly homosexual, and so um, you know it's just it's just one um, it, you know we may build things with good intentions now, for example, um, the latest uh, amendments to the AML directive were driven by the fear that Russian uh, sanctioned Russian individuals would evade sanctions by exiting through crypto. And so let's make this super tough. Let's record all the data and so on. But we just need one bad government in Europe, you know, some sort of Nazi government, some super right-wing populist party who think homosexuality is a disease. And suddenly, um, they can create a list of everybody who's gay or everybody who's Muslim or everybody who's Jewish. And what do you do then? So I really think financial privacy is uh, uh, a huge topic that is not sufficiently recognized of how important it is right now at the European level. And everybody's running towards full transparency. You have to disclose everything. You cannot keep any sort of private uh, transactions. And um, this is very concerning to me. And I would hope that we um, can sort of change the tide here but um, I'm currently not very hopeful. So this to me is extremely concerning. In the context of, of, of what happened, um, with particularly going back to this idea of FTX now uh, and other legislation that's on the way, what would we say to entrepreneurs? Just to, just to go back to a nice positive thing. Entrepreneurs are always fantastic. They're full of energy. They're bouncing. They've got great ideas. What would you say to entrepreneurs that are thinking about launching a blockchain project or a token project within the EU in, say, the next two to three years? Like, what do they have to think about? What do they have to be aware of? Uh, what sort of things should be on their mind building in this future regulated landscape? 
So I think, first of all, it's important to understand that this MICA regulation has not yet been voted into force. This has been delayed until February next year. I expect it to happen, though, in February. It was just sort of technical reasons because the translation is so complicated of MICA that it, it was delayed, it seems. And um, then actually it's going to take another 12 to 18 months for uh, the rules to enter into force. So and the first thing I would say to innovators is you have another two years, uh, one to two years, to uh, actually build something sort of, you know, maybe less easy um, under MICA. That's number one. And number two is that um, please try to build something um, that, if possible, leverages self-custodial technologies and not custodial technologies. Because this is, I believe, where the future should be headed. And it has to be entrepreneurs that bring us there. It's not going to be the regulator and it's not going to be anyone else. It has to be us ourselves who make the future we want to see a reality. And so, um, yeah, I want to uh, encourage anybody uh, who listens to this, um, if they have any ideas to get you know uh, active in this space, please do. And if possible, focus on technologies that uh, leverage the self-custodial elements, the decentralized elements of this technology and not build another FTX. It's just boring as hell. So don't do it. Okay. So you heard it here first. Don't build another FTX. Strong advice. Yeah, but this self-custodial thing is a, is a fantastic recommendation. I hope we, hope we hear it. Um, more more of these such projects over the next couple of years. I, ho I hope we will. The combination of this news plus the MICA regulations that we talked about, it seems like the place where you would build if you wanted the absolute freedom to just be creative. And uh, let's hope that that's the case. Okay, so make your mind up time. Last question we're going to ask. Are you overall optimistic or pessimistic about the direction that regulation is going in the EU? Oof. I mean... To be very honest, I wouldn't say I'm super optimistic right now. Um, I think MICA is fine overall and we can actually improve it. But if I look at the AML regulation, um, we just touched upon in financial privacy. If I look at digital euro, uh, if I look at, um, for example, um, the regulation that's going to come up on the data economy in Europe, where now we have a proposal <laughs> that regulates smart contracts on the most ridiculous level, like uh, stipulating that smart contracts need to have a stop routine where you can freeze the contract. And there are some, t some, some signals that I see right now in the European regulation that don't make me very confident that we have been successful yet in setting the stage and the mindset of the regulators onto the right tune. Um, there's still a lot of work to do. Um, I feel regulators are very fear-driven at the moment. They try to preserve a world that isn't even there anymore. And um, so, yeah, I wouldn't say I'm super optimistic, but I'm just not a pessimist. I'm an optimist by nature. So I will never stop believing that it's possible that we can um, get these to these good regulations. But it's just, um, it's an uphill battle. Right, it it really requires a change of mind, and um, that's going to be long and hard uh, to get there. But uh, I'll never give up. That's that's my job. So, yeah. 
Okay, um, well, that's been uh, Florian Glatz talking with us today about regulatory developments. What we've heard from you, a lot of very interesting stuff about how legislation is, is, is generally a good thing for a variety of reasons, but that we have to be careful not to think of it as a broad scope thing. The industry is far too big, it's far too diverse. It's got far too many niches and caveats to it to consider that one piece of written law is going to cover everything in the crypto and blockchain space. We've heard that um, Florian is not maybe as optimistic as some of the other guests that we've had on here in on the show, but is also by nature not pessimistic. So he's willing to keep working and keep fighting, which is fantastic. And it very strongly recommends that people who are building in the space in the next couple of years seriously look at this self-custodial solutions as a big part or the main part of their product, which I think is an absolutely fantastic recommendation and something that we hope to see much more of. So thank you so much. I had the pleasure today to talk to crypto lawyer Florian Glatz uh, about these issues. My name is Ryan King. That was the Internet of Assets, the podcast about the not-so-distant future of finance.